Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. the Apostle Peter, not just some other guy named Peter. Um, and it was written to believers scattered throughout the region of Asia Minor. They were exiles. So in it, Peter praises God for the message of hope, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So on page 983, beginning with verse 10, this is what the Word of God says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke the Father, if you invoke as Father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, ransomed not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of the lamb without defect or blemish, he was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some days we feel completely connected with you, God, and distant from the world, and some days we 
feel right and safe with the world and distant from you. And Lord, I pray that we would more and more live both close to you and in love with these other people that you've sent into our lives. We'd more and more look like you, Jesus. So make these words that Peter wrote words that are alive for us in, in our hearts, that we would not just hear them, but Holy Spirit, please change us. Make us whole, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right from the beginning of this text, I think we have a pretty big problem. Uh, most of us hear some of the vocabulary in this, and we, we probably, I'm guessing a lot of us, to the extent that we really took it in, probably aren't necessarily liking some of what we heard. I'm thinking particularly of words like obedient. You know, most of us are perfectly happy if somebody else obeys us. That goes really well, right? That is a-okay with us. When someone is doing what we ask them to do, that is completely fine. But I'm, I'm guessing that most of us are not quite so okay with needing to be obedient to someone else or some situation, right? Like, as another pastor pointed out, I, I'm guessing that pretty much none of us Wake up in the morning, I'm like, Lord, I just, I want to learn how to be an obeyer today. Today, I just, I just want my, my boss to just load me down with stuff so I can learn to obey her. And I want my teachers to just load on the home because I want to do what they want me to do. And I, I want my parents to suddenly make demands on me so that I can just grow in my ability to obey. And I, that's just not us, right? I mean, none of us really look for that. We just, we just don't. And, and a lot of it, of course, is that a lot of the people who have been telling us things to do, we know that it's not entirely for our own good, right? I mean, it just, it just isn't. I, I, our mothers were all saints. They were completely dedicated to our good. But I can say, as a parent myself, that sometimes, even when I'm asking my kids to do things that are for their own good, there's a, a part of me that is self-interested in that particular activity, right? For instance, it's great for them to learn piano and correct musical skills, just all kinds of studies, right? But part of my motivation in wanting them to go spend 15 or 20 minutes practicing is I can do something else while they're downstairs practicing the piano. My life gets easier while they're doing their thing, right? If I send them outside to play, it's good for them, but part of me is self-interested. And it's not, I'm not 100% invested in their good. I'm, you know, maybe on a good day, 90%, right? You with me, right? So we've, so even the people who we knew were basically out for our good, the human experience is that obedience to some other authority always involves some part of that authority, even when they're really good, not being entirely invested in our good. Yeah? You with me? And so we hear Peter inviting these people to be like obedient children, and we 
yeah, I'll get back to you on that one, and we want to keep reading, right? Like, there's, it's got to get better in the next few verses, but it doesn't because we get to another word that's not really an, an applause word um, for any of us, and certainly not in our culture. Be holy. Right? Holiness is not, um, yeah, it's, it's not one of those words that makes us super excited to do it ourselves. Like it when other people do things, because again, back to the self-interested piece, but for us, it's not, right, it's a little word association. I and mean, we can play this game briefly just to make the point. What other words or phrases or images come to mind when you hear the word holy or holiness? You know, and it's, it's okay to have positive ones. There may be some of those out there, but it's okay to have the negative ones, because I'm guessing that's most of what comes to mind. Holier than thou. Okay, holier than thou, yeah. Set apart. What are those, just word association or images that come to mind? Hmm? Sacred. Sacred. Holy rollers. Holy rollers, okay. Respectful. Okay, respectful. It's more. Righteous. Okay, righteous. More. Spiritual. Spiritual. More. Pentecostal. Pentecostal. Okay, good. Yeah. Any word association? Anything that connects into that? Anything else? Bible. Hmm? Holy Bible. Okay, Holy Bible, right? Okay, good. There's there's a lot of things, and we've we've got a lot of the positive ones out there, but uh Let's be honest, for a decent number of us and a lot of our neighbors, holy is a, right? It's, it's kind of a preface to a swear word, often enough. I mean, just let's think about how this actually gets used in our culture. Uh, back in World War II, the Holy Joes were the, the chaplains, right, that would, would pal along, and that, uh, that doesn't necessarily have a positive ring to it these days. Doesn't it have kind of that uh, stiff shirt, sackcloth and ashes kind of feel to like, just again, put yourself in the position of, I mean, maybe it's your, your own images, and, but also our neighbors, right? Like, stick in the mud, resistant, stubborn, the church lady on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Come on, this is they don't, this doesn't have positive connotations for us. It just doesn't, neither obedient nor holy. And so we read this passage, and honestly, at first it doesn't feel like there's a lot for us here, or at least not anything that we want. But to get at some of what Peter is wanting us to see, he is, in fact, when he's quoting this, phrase, be holy for, I am holy, and he's quoting scripture there. He's quoting from Leviticus, which is a really scary book of the Bible, just, right? Again, not an applause word, Leviticus, you hear it like, that's that's not, it's not the place in the Bible where uh, people usually go to find joy and peace. And, but this is a central, a key allusion that Peter is making here. Right at the very beginning, he says, you are chosen, you are these chosen exiles. You're in this precarious martial situation, but you're chosen in the foreknowledge of God the Father. He's got you. He knows you. He's chosen you. He loves you. According to the sanctification, the being made holy of the Holy Spirit. 
And then this for obedience to Jesus and sprinkling with his blood. This sprinkling with his blood is a reference to Leviticus. God's people had come out of Egypt. They're free. They're no longer slaves. But just like somebody who's been in prison for 25 years and they're coming out, they feeling like you're in prison doesn't stop just because you walk out the doors. You still feel that restriction. You still feel that and it was no different for these people. They still felt like slaves, even though they're free. And so God meets them at Sinai, comes, gives them these, a number of instructions, meets them in power and glory in a way that they cannot deny. And then makes this covenant with them. He makes, he renews and makes this covenant that they will be his people and he will be their God. He will take care of them. He will provide for them and they can rest and trust in that. And it was sealed with sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice. Now on this side of Jesus, it's sprinkled with Jesus, but God's own personal self-sacrifice renews this promise that we are his, we are chosen, nothing can take us away. He's got us, and even if for a long season it can feel like we're apart, he has hold of us, sprinkled in his blood. And then he quotes here, be holy for I am holy. And it's a way of pulling these people who know the Bible story back into this renewal of covenant, back into the sense that we are, we belong to him. And a central piece of Leviticus, and a lot of the laws in Leviticus, a lot of the rules and commandments in Leviticus were done away with this side of Jesus because they pointed forward to him, which Peter also references. These prophets who looked forward, they were inquiring, when is this going to happen? Well, it was Jesus. And, but the point of these patterns in Leviticus that were given to God's people was to make them a distinct people. The definition that a couple of you uh, popped out with holy is, as set apart is, is exactly right. That these God's intent was to set apart the people for himself that would show his glory, show his mercy, show his goodness, show his faithfulness. His solidarity with them. And that by living in these various patterns, and there are a lot of them, living in these patterns would give them a wholeness, Hebrew word shalom, give them a wholeness to their persons and to their community that would draw in the other nations to ask, who is this God who is so good to you? You are so different than other nations around you, you are so distinct and will be brought in to ask by those kinds of questions about God by their very distinctiveness. And these rules and Leviticus affected every single part of life, everything from literally how you make your clothing to how you slaughter your animals to how you harvest your fields, so you're leaving stuff on the edge for the poor to come in and have a, a source of food to glean on the edges, to there's all these rules that affected every single part of life. And that's what Peter is going, where he's going to go, is that he's inviting us into a distinctiveness. 
that will affect absolutely every part of life. There's a quote uh, from Tim Chester where he summarizes it like this. Holiness, as Peter will define it, as God always defines it in Scripture, holiness is as much about what you do on Monday morning on the factory floor as it is about what you do on Sunday morning in a church camp. Holiness is as much about the kind of neighbor you are as it is about the kind of church member you are. Holiness is as much about who you are when you're holding a steering wheel as it is about who you are when you're holding a Bible. Like Leviticus, Peter is going to spell out what it means for the church to be distinctive in every area of life. But the headline is, be holy, because I am holy. Be distinctive, because I am distinctive. I think we've all experienced people who have grown up in a a tough home environment, and as, as you get to know them, you, you recognize that some of the choices they've made in their life are to be different than their parents. Have you ever experienced that, where you recognize that, I mean, it could be things like, you know, red's such a great color on you, why don't I, and well, my mom like red, so I don't wear red, right? I mean, you get those kinds of just reactive distinctiveness, where you had this tough situation you had, and you just, you know, somebody in your family, somebody who hurt you in some other way, and just, you, and so you define yourself in opposition to who that other person is. Have you ever met somebody, known somebody who's kind of in that, in that pattern? I think we all recognize there's some, some unhealth there, and, and at the very least, like, recognize that to the extent that I mean, this isn't too familiar to the extent. Well, and I should have thought more carefully about it. I had the sermon make a really personal example, but I am, I'm aware that there are some choices I've made in my life at various times, and I think for the most part I've gotten over them, but to not be like my parents. But to the extent that that's what's defining my choice, I'm still letting them and the unhealth that was there, along with a lot of good things, define me. Far, far better, yes, is to define ourselves not what we're against, but what we're for. See, that's the invitation here to be holy, to be like obedient children with a father who loves us. Is to be distinctive in a way that's not in opposition to the world around us, not trying to nitpick and find all the things that are wrong with our culture, or wrong with this group, or wrong with that group, and for goodness sakes, that neighbor. But to define ourselves centered on the one who is good, not define ourselves based on what we're against. There's a theologian named Miroslav Wolf, and his family was caught up in the violence in the breakup of Yugoslavia's son, 25, it's almost 30 years ago now. And he was a, was a theologian at Yale Divinity School and knew his Bible, but he recognized as he watched what his family was going through in Croatia, that there was a whole new layer of what it means to suffer and God's role in our experiences of pain and 
he recognized there were whole new layers that he had to reinvestigate and reabsorb just for his own self as well as for his fellow creations and others. And he recognized that this dynamic of defining ourselves in opposition is, is not ever how God invites us to be. God invites us to be centered on him and be defined on him. And there's a he points out what should hopefully be obvious to us now, that when identity is forged primarily through the negative process of the rejection of the beliefs and practices of others, we have to push others away from ourselves and keep them at a distance. Only those, and this is the invitation to us as Christians, only those who refuse to be defined by their enemies can bless them. Because we look at some of the things of holiness and we think like, okay, not mine, like we get that. Most of our neighbors are in full agreement with that, right? That's, we got it. Tell the truth. Usually. We, we look at things like not stealing, not coveting, not murdering. Like, yeah, okay, got it. Those are good. <clears throat> but being obedient children also involves really difficult commands like loving your enemies. And that's not going to be possible if we define ourselves by what we're against rather than what we're for. And on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, it's perfect and kind of obvious example. That is what we see in MLK. Certainly not a perfect man. But he centered himself on the good news of Jesus, the riches of the gospel, God's infinite love poured out to us. And MLK and others around him were able to move this nation forward precisely because they did not define themselves in opposition as much as they were opposed to all kinds of evil and injustice. He didn't define himself by that. He defined himself in relation to Jesus and the gospel. And so was able to respond with love and forgiveness and mobilize the nation to take steps towards reconciliation, holiness. MLK was distinctive. Because he had taken good news of Jesus down into the core of his being. And see what good has come from his life, both during his life and, and since then. Now we're not called to be Americans, right? Like we're that's that's clearly I'm guessing. Who knows? I'm guessing nobody in this room is going to have that kind of public history-altering kind of career, right? But in each of our contexts, where we're taking classes, where we're working, where we're being part of the, the gardening club, where we're working out, where we're 
hanging out with people at the park, with the folks who live next door, with the folks who live up the street, with in each of the places God sends us to. In each of those places, as we center ourselves on Jesus and become people who are holy, people who are set apart, people who are distinctive, not because we're against, but because we're for. Because one who is for us has come into our life. We can see amazing things happen. Wholeness, reconciliation, forgiveness, growth, health, joy, happiness. And that's our invitation. It's still a new year. We can, you know, the whole New Year's resolution thing, it's a culture, like, but it's it's never too late to start over, right? That's what the gospel demands. It's never too late to start over. As I've shared here, my own grandfather, 85 years old, finally got a hold of his life and turned him around. In that last 15 years, he had this amazing ministry. It was phenomenal. It's never too late. So let God get a hold of you. Let him center your affections on Jesus. And let him make you new. Let him make you distinctive the way he's distinctive. For the purpose of love. And we'll close with this. We'll sneak peek into next week's text. After Peter talks about this holiness, after he talks about being obedient to this God who loves us, he says this, now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that, he doesn't even say so that, you'll be really good people. He says so that you will have genuine mutual love. Love one another deeply from the heart. Again, more on this next week. But that is the goal. That's the invitation. To let go of our being against. To let our attention and our affection be drawn more and more to Jesus. Be made distinct by him. In obedience to him. So that we can love. Friends, whatever the next step is for you, and the Holy Spirit is going to be your teacher in this. The Holy Spirit for each one of us is going to be pointing out things, specific things, next steps for each of us. An act of forgiveness, a rededication to prayer, a investigating the Bible, getting a conversation with someone that you have a ruptured relationship with, extending a forgiveness, taking time to rest. Maybe your big step of obedience is actually getting eight hours of sleep. Trusting God to take care of you. Whatever the next step of obedience is for you, take it. Because he loves you. He wants you to be whole. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.